Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. There's a lot to talk about. A lot to talk about. And there are lots of stories that have been running on Blacklock's Reporter that I paid attention to, I always do, at Minding Ottawa on Twitter, at Minding Ottawa. And our good friend Tom Korski is the executive editor for Blacklock's Reporter at Minding Ottawa. And we just heard, Tom, thank you for coming on. My pleasure. We, we just heard the voice of Pierre Polyev on this program not well, a couple of weeks ago, talking about the, uh, the cost of housing, of having a home. And you ran the story on the 24th of August. Rents for tenants who sign new leases typically run to $1,360 a month on a national average, says StatScan. A third of Canadians are renters. And then there was this line, good luck finding a $1,700 apartment in any urban center in the country right now. Uh, flesh that out for us, please. Not StatsCan's best work. This is an interesting insight into statistics where you take averaging on top of averaging to the point where it becomes meaningless. So they had a, a national report based on data they pulled from questionnaires right across the country. And they asked people, what rent do you pay? What's included in your rent? That sounds interesting. Well, they came up with an average rent figure of 1360 a month, as you mentioned. Unfortunately for StatsCan, there are commons committees that have been investigating the cost of housing. And one of the committees heard of testimony from people who are in the business. In fact, it happened to be the Canadian Housing and Renewal Association. And their executive director, Ray Sullivan, had testified, good luck getting under $2,000 a month in a major urban city in this country. Everyone who rents can relate to that. This is the problem. They're, they're, commons committees are trying to get a handle on this because you get the feeling that cabinet's not getting a handle on it. And there are, you know this, Roy, you, you've lived it. And those of us of a certain age have lived it. You wouldn't wish this on a younger generation, but it's happening to them. The, that inflation becomes like a gerbil cage. It's a spinning cage. And you will, Canadians being who they are, will try to work harder. We have to put on extra shifts. Let's, let's take extra work, get a part-time job, cut expenses to the bone. You never catch up with inflation. That's, that's why it's devastating to people. The faster you run, you merely exhaust yourself. You never get caught up. It's no. not good, Roy. No, it isn't. I spoke last weekend, last weekend or the weekend before, with uh, a lawyer in Vancouver who represents people who rent, who have issues and challenges. And we just found out that the average cost of a one-bedroom apartment in Vancouver is over 3000 a month, Tom. That's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. And if you want a two-bedroom apartment, it's like 4700 bucks. And so that's around 50,000 a year. That's after tax uh, rent. So you've, you know, you've got to earn a uh, hundred grand to take home 50. So if you earn a hundred grand and you have a two bedroom apartment, it means you don't eat. You don't heat and you don't eat because all your money is going for rent. That's ridiculous. It is ridiculous and it's dangerous. And yet cabinet promised, here's another story from Black Lives Reporter, cabinet, cabinet promised $15 billion in savings. And that's when the finance minister had to step in and say, what, Tom? It's not actually savings. <laughs> they wanted to redefine the word. Unfortunately for them, we all have access to an online dictionary. When they said $15 billion of savings, 
What they meant was, according to Minister Freeland, when asked to explain this, it was a Globe story a couple of weeks ago, $15 billion in savings. And believe it or not, there were people in Ottawa who got upset. My goodness, cuts, cuts are coming to town. <laughs> Parliament hasn't balanced a budget in 2007. They wouldn't know a budget cut if, if a two-by-four hit a barn door. And anyway, Minister Freeland said, well, when we say $15 billion in savings, what we mean is instead of spending $15 billion on balloons, we're going to spend it on crayons. We're just going to spend it somewhere else. Look at how much money we save. For the rest of us who can only say, but there's only one annual budget and there's only one taxpayer, those costs are not going down. Yeah. So we're not going to spend the $15, $15 billion on balloons, but we're going to spend it on the sticks to tie them to. Exactly. <laughs> this, is, this, is ex- this is exactly the right. Now, now we understand federal. So we're running around waving sticks in our in the air <laughs> without a balloon. And people are looking at us from outer space because we know there are aliens on the planet now. The U.S. Navy has pointed that out. Fighter pilots have said it. And the aliens are looking down and saying, okay, it's a confusing place. We got all these people running around waving sticks and, and we're trying to figure out who runs the place. We think it's, you know, the line, right? We think it's dogs because the humans walk behind the dogs and pick up, <laughs> pick up their, I've never heard that before. Yeah. So oh, who runs brutal. the planet? It's the dogs because the humans walk behind them and pick up their droppings. Yeah. That is brutal. It is brutal, but it's true. So let's stay with money in Ottawa. Um, the, the prime minister had something to say about Trans Mountain Pipeline. Uh, yeah, it's it's not going to make any money, is it, Tom? It's not. You know, this is the thing. It becomes, it's a little bit like, you know, in the old days in the Soviet Union, there were reporters used to watch the Kremlin. And if a certain so-and-so didn't show up for the funeral wearing a, a bearskin hat, that meant something bad had happened. <laughs> Sometimes you go with omissions. So for the longest time, you remember when then Finance Minister Bill Morneau nationalized the Kinder Morgan line, cost billions. Oh, I remember. He said, look, it, we're making money on this deal. You can take it to the bank. Quote, unquote, he said, this is the Canadian way is to turn a profit. We are going to be making a profit. The Canadian approach will be to ensure we'll make a profit. Quote, unquote, he testified at Commons Finance Committee hearings. I'm quoting him accurately. That's to the letter. And his successor, Minister Freeland, said a little bit differently. She said, well, we think we're going to meet costs. We're going to break even. Okay, well, that's not real. <laughs> so that's not now, a now the, uh, they're looking at the sale of this uh, project. There have been cost overruns. It's up to $32 billion. Prime Minister asked, would not commit, to, didn't mention profit or recovering costs. That means someone didn't show up with a bearskin hat at the funeral. <laughs> This is not good, Ron. This is not good. <laughs> By the way, I have a question. Uh, since you're in Ottawa, I just see the prime minister on uh, video. He's never come to see me. He's never talked to me um, because he knows I'll ask him questions that they won't want to answer. But does he own a jacket? Well, it depends on the occasion, where the occasion implies that I am one of the working people. Then I will appear with my collar open, tie slightly undone, and sleeves rolled up. <laughs> it's all performative. Okay, it's the bearskin syndrome, but a little differently. It, it is. Bearskin hat. But That's where there's a formal, a more formal 
or for instance, a sad occasion, then of course you would wear, you would dress appropriately. Yeah. I always see him in the shirt and he seems to have only one shirt because it well, never you would have color. to believe that this is the hardest working man in show business. Oh, yeah. You're right. Because, because the sleeves are rolled up. He always looks by the attire slightly, only slightly disheveled. You'd say this is a hard working guy. And then you see the lineups outside the passport office or the mayhem in the Department of Finance, you say, well, it's not obvious what he's working on. <laughs> administration, this is the thing we always say, right? Administration is really boring. Just ask anyone who does it, runs a minor hockey league, a small business, a, you know, a union local, whatever. Administration is no fun. But the people who do that usually aren't very performative. They just get it done. I think you know where I'm getting. <laughs> I do know what you're getting at. Yes, indeed. Okay, let's stay with uh, with with uh, economics for just a moment longer. Then we'll take a break and come back. The number one worry for small businesses, which used to employ eight million Canadians, number one employer in the country prior to COVID. What's their problem? Biggest problem? Hands down, not even close. Inflation. The smaller the business, the bigger the worry. Bigger businesses, that, as defined by the Department of Industry in their survey of uh, owners and operators, that is, with more than 500 employees, they say they can deal with this. Well, they're passing it on to the customer. Smaller businesses, mo literally mom and pops, one or two employees, number one worries inflation because they can't pass it on. They have to eat it, just like everybody else. And we discussed that spinning cage. The faster you run, the yeah. more you tire. Yeah. Yeah. And the further you fall behind. I walk past a small business every time I come into this radio station. And I looked inside today, and I've looked inside over the last number of weeks, and I never see anybody in there. The lights are on, and somebody's working, but I never see any customers. I don't need what they sell, but I feel compelled to go in and buy something just to try to help out. There's always a, there's a phenomenon going on, by the way. The Canadian Federation of Independent Businesses pointed this out. I'll make this short, Roy. Uh, zombie businesses, where they don't even, the, 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 these were people who went right up against the wall with the lockdowns and then the inflation. They don't even have a receiver's sale, sell, auction the fixtures. They simply turn the key in the door and walk away. They don't know how many there are like that. They, they fear there could be as many as a quarter million. There's a small business I walk past every single day that's got a sign in the window, and it's true, and it says, behind every small business is a family. It's true, Roy. Never yeah, forget it. Yeah, yeah. I spent... I uh, spoke so many times with Dan Kelly, the uh, CEO right. of uh, the CFIB during the pandemic, and he told, he he ran that quarter million businesses in trouble by us a number of times, and then it went higher and higher and higher. And these are the people who, you know, they're the ones who sponsor the Little League baseball team and the hockey team, and they live in your neighborhood, and they support your kids, so support your small business community. Well, they are the economy. They are the we economy. We are a nation of, of farmers and They're shopkeepers, right. proudly right. so. They, they literally employ the majority of the workforce. Yeah. It's not the big companies with the expense accounts. Yeah. There are at least a million and a half chronic pain patients in this country, at least a million and a half, more than that, actually. And uh, many of them are in such dramatic pain, terrible pain. But they cannot function without opioid pain meds, which are prescribed by their doctors. And it provides them with an opportunity to generate and experience some quality of life. Well, over the last numbers of years, these chronic pain patients have had their supply of medication reduced and reduced and reduced because of a policy that makes no sense whatsoever. They're hurting. Some of them are committing suicide. 
We've talked to family who's had family members commit suicide or attempted suicide. But on the other side of the ledger, the federal government introduced a safe supply for drugs of drugs for people who are addicted to drugs. And now, and we're back with the Tom Korski, the executive editor of Black Locks Reporter at Minding Ottawa. Uh, Tom, Canadians, you're right on Black Locks oppose cabinet's safe supply drug policy, and this is in-house Privy Council research. Only research we read, Roy, because it's the only research that cabinet commissions, and they read it. That's important. It tells you often, we've found over the years, it will tell you what is bothering cabinet, what they're cagey about, and sometimes it can be a predictor of future policy. There's been a debate on safe, safe supply drug policy, as you mentioned, in Parliament. It's been approved over and over. But an element that's never heard is exactly what they found out. Isn't this interesting that they pulled the question? They pulled it only in British Columbia, not just downtown Vancouver, suburbs, greater Toronto, interior of BC. And the question was, how are we doing on the safe supply drug policy, which led to, in January, decriminalization only in BC. They make it a ticketing offense. Simple possession of two and a half grams of cocaine, fentanyl, opioids, you name it. That hasn't happened in this country since 1911. It was a big deal. And they asked British Columbians, how are we doing? It was universal. There there was an immediate consensus. And you know what the consensus was, Roy? Bring back the war on drugs. Tougher penalties. Stop the addictions. Go after the traffickers. People are fed up with social disorder. They see it on their streets and their parks. They see it in crime. They were, cabinet was told, their researchers were told in focus groups that the decriminalization, the safe supply policy has led to disorder in their towns and cities and they're fed up with it. Yeah. And Tom, I could open up the phone lines right now and keep you with me for the next three to four hours and just ask for people to call in who are struggling with dramatically difficult pain reality day after day after day, whose opioid pain medications, which again provided them with some quality of life, has been arbitrarily reduced or eliminated, and they are on the verge of committing suicide, or they know people who have in fact committed suicide, and I guess they're considered expendable. There's... You, when you hear those stories, Roy, you start to wonder whether there are limits, and I don't mean this in a technocratic way, I mean this in a heartfelt way, whether there are simply limits to the powers or even the abilities of federal agencies. Is this simply too hard for them, that they are incapable of judgment? What is disorder that leads to criminal activity? What is sanctioned drug policy that helps the suffering? Why can't they tell the difference? Why can't they get it straight? Mm -hmm. When you're down, after you mentioned, this is years of policy, you're now down to polling the general public and focus groups to find out what you should do. So much for following the science. So much for listening to the experts. It's not good, right? No, it's about politics. Okay, tell us, please, about the uh, an audit at the border about suspicious cross-border packages and how well they're doing with that, Tom. Speaking of which, you yes. wonder is this is is there is there a limit to what government can do? 
Well, of course we know there is, but you know for the longest time, if you had a problem, well, the government was going to solve this problem for you. Well, we have a problem. There's guns, apparently. I just hear about this on TV and the radio. There's guns that come into Canada illegally. How many guns? The Department of Public Safety doesn't know. But they decided to get on it. So they bought some very expensive dual-view x-ray machines for use by the one federal agency that intercepts cross-border mail, the Canada Border Services Agency. And they gave them these machines. X-ray machines spot the handguns and the suspicious partials. What did they discover? Less than half of packages were x-rayed, even if they were deemed suspicious. And it doesn't really matter anyway, because under the Canada Post Corporation Act, the police cannot intercept a suspicious package in transit. This is a Say that again? Right. Say that again, please? The police cannot, under the federal uh, Canada Post Corporations Act, police cannot intercept a suspicious package in transit. Well, send it by mail then. Just send everything by mail. And then... This is exactly, th- there, this has come up in Senate debate to amend the law. Senators have said, they, if you're a drug trafficker, if you want to smuggle guns, don't use UPS or FedEx. Send it, it by, by mail. Canada Post. Canada Post. Oh, my God. Tom, uh, you are a national treasure, and you certainly are <laughs> to this program. <laughs> I'm a something. You're a something. We're both a something. <laughs> if you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend.